Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. You're listening to Sword in Hand Podcast, Bible-believing preaching emanating from Indian Gap Baptist Church deep in the heart of Texas. Definitely not politically correct, but glorifying Jesus Christ in every way. So let's join it in progress. Job chapter 9, verse 32. Job says here, and he's talking about God. He said, For he, God, is not a man as I am, that I should answer him. We should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Job says that God is not a man like we are, and that we don't have a daysman. Job says, I don't have a daysman that can... Betwixt us, between us, that might lay his hand upon us both. So Job has got a complaint here, and his complaint is that, why is God judging me as God when I'm a man and he's God? And how fair is that? And we need to go back, look back up at verse 19, and let's go back to verse 19, and let's go through what Job, how Job came to this question. And I think it's very interesting to go back to Job chapter 9. Go back up to verse about 19. Look at verse 19. And let's go through this process that Job went through. Job went through this process of trying to figure out why God is asking him and God is judging him. Because, you know, Job is laying in the dirt. He's, he's got sores from the crown of his head to the bottom of his feet. God's punishing Job. It's obvious God's doing something to Job. And Job don't understand why. And his friends have come and talked to him. And Job's... Defending himself, but look back up at verse 19. Let's go back and look at verse 19 and where Job goes with all this. Job says, if I speak of strength, lo, he is strong. Job says, if, if I'm the strongest man in the world, God is still stronger. Amen. When you talk about God, you're saying, if you're relying on your strength to get you by with God, if you're relying on your health to get you by with God, well, God is stronger than any man and God is the one that's giving you your health. You don't stand a chance. And he says, if, and if of judgment, verse 19, and if of judgment, who shall set me a time to plead? This isn't a judgment where you're at a local courthouse and you can say, okay, well, I don't have time to get my case together. I want to I try to extend it out. I want to, the, the lawyers call it a continuance. I want to file a continuance where I can have this delayed a little while. It don't work that way with God. When your day of judgment comes, it's coming. <laughs> And you don't, I hate to tell you this, my friend, you don't know when that day is. It is appointed unto men once to die, then the judgment. You're going to die and you're going to stand before God and be judged. Now, when is that going to happen? Some people die at an early age. I had a friend of mine die at 14. Some people die at 100. Who knows? We don't know. So you need to get ready. And you can't go before God and say, oh, well, I know it's time for judgment. But give me a little bit more time, I've got to get my case prepared. Job, Job is reminding everybody that it doesn't work that way with God's judgment. Verse 20, if I justify myself, mine own mouth shall condemn me. If I say I am perfect, it shall also prove me perverse. If we try to justify ourselves before God, if we try to stand before God and start trying to justify ourselves, our own mouths are going to condemn us. <laughs> Man. Jesus Christ says every idle word man's going to give an account of in the day of judgment. Guys, all those times, if you stand before God in self-justification, and, and, and let's just make an example of, of stealing, and God condemns you in His judgment for being a thief, 
And thou shalt not steal. You might say, well, I don't know that commandment. I don't know the Ten Commandments. It's not fair for you to judge me on some commandments that I never read. I never read your book. Some man might be brave enough to back talk God like that. Well, God will go back to your life, to that man's life and say, you remember on a certain, certain time, on a certain, certain day, and he'll have his angel open up the book and he'll read your words back to you where you were condemning stealing, where you were talking about out of your own mouth that it's wrong to steal. That's what Job's talking about right here. If I justify myself, mine own mouth shall condemn me. Guys, if we just let our words be used against us in a court of law, in God's court of law, we're all bound to go to hell. Because we condemn ourselves. We're hypocrites. And what I know, working around a bunch of men and sitting in a break room at lunchtime and listening to a bunch of men talk is, the more they talk, and I've been working with some of these men for seven, eight, nine, ten years, some of them 13 years, the more I hear them talk, the more they condemn themselves. And that's only an eight, seven-year period. And that's only for 45 minutes, 30 minutes at lunchtime. And they'll say one thing one week, and you wait one month, and they'll say the total opposite. And they're condemning themselves. Guys, the more you're talking, the more you have for your words to be used against you at the day of judgment. And Job's pointing that out. If I justify myself, my own mouth shall condemn me. It's called self-righteousness. God says in Romans chapter 10, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So many people are self-righteous. They think they're going to get away with things and that they, that they can stand before God and they're going to say, well, see, God, I'm not as bad as my neighbor. But I'm here to tell you, and Job's here to tell you, you're not going to be judged by your neighbor. You're going to be judged by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And when you stand before God and you have to be judged, God's not going to allow you to have an escape route and say, well, I wasn't so bad as he was. God's going to say, we're not talking about him right now. We're talking about you. Guys, that's the kind of judgment we're coming to. And let me tell you something else. If you're in here this morning and you think, well, I'm not, gonna, I, I'm not that bad a person. I'm not that bad a person. We'll get your family in here. We'll get some people in here that live with you on a daily basis. We'll let them get behind this pulpit right here. I'll let them stand back here. And we'll let them start telling how good a person you really are. See how long that lasts. I'll be, here, I'll be the first one to tell you, please don't let my wife get up here. Come on, guys, be honest with yourself. We're wicked. We're sinners. The Bible tells us that over and over again. There's none righteous, no, not one. We've all come short of the glory of God. And Job's reminding us of that. It shall also prove me perverse. Verse 21, though I were perfect, yet would I not, would I not know my soul, I would despise my life. The better you do, the more you push yourself to do better. That's kind of what Job's saying there in verse 21. I like what Will Rogers said. Will Rogers says, I love to hear a man talk about himself. Because when he talks about himself, he never says anything but good stuff. That's the truth. When a man writes his own biography, you'd think that was a saint. Well, let somebody write a biography about you that doesn't know you and just comes and looks for the facts. Woo, that's not a, not a very good story, is it? Nope, no, no, sir, it's not. Verse 22. Look, Job says, this is one thing, therefore I said it. He says it, he destroyeth the perfect and the wicked. Job, Job points out, and he says, I'm going to point something out to you, Job says. He destroyeth the perfect and the wicked. I said this just a couple of Sundays ago, maybe last Wednesday, but here's the truth of it. Bad men get cancer, 
good men get cancer. Now listen to me, listen to me. Bad men go through divorce. Good men go through divorce. Bad men go through financial problems. Good men go through financial problems. Listen, the same thing that happens to the wicked is the same thing that happens to the righteous and the just. It doesn't matter. It all happens to us. He destroys them both. Verse 23, if the scourge slays suddenly, he will laugh at the trial of the innocent. Now, Job accuses God of laughing at problems that happen to the innocent people. Now, that's not true. And we know God not to be that way. But we know out of Proverbs chapter 1, verse 26, write that down. Proverbs 1, 26, we know that God does laugh and scoff at the self-righteous. Verse 24, the earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covereth the faces of the judges thereof. If not, where and who is he? Now, what he's saying there in verse 24, he's saying... The earth is controlled by the wicked. The wicked go about doing what they want to do. If God's not in control, who isn't? This is the argument the atheists will give to you. The atheists will say the same thing. Is all this wicked stuff happens, and if there's a supreme God, then it's got to be God doing it. Why would God allow that to happen? Why does God, if your God is such a loving God, why does He allow this to happen? That's the argument that Job's making. That's the argument that an atheist will make to your face. The problem with that argument is you don't understand God. God has given each one of us an amazing free gift. Everybody is born with this amazing free gift. And that free gift is the amazing gift of free will. We have a free will. We are allowed to do what we want to do, how we want to do it, when we want to do it. And guys, as God gives us a free will, inside that free will system, people are allowed to do bad things to each other. But they're also allowed to do good things to each other. In a free will system, as God gives us this, free, this gift, this amazing gift of free will, we got the free will to do what we're going to do and when we're going to do it. Another thing about God letting the wicked rule, if, if God is in control, why does he let this stuff happen? Sometimes bad things happen to good people, but God has a good thing planned for it. He works out good for that. You remember when Joseph was thrown down in a pit and he sold into slavery, and then when he sold into slavery by his own brothers... They went, he went in slavery, went, he, was, he was ruling the house over in Egypt, and he became a servant, and then he got accused of rape, got thrown in jail. Falsely accused, thrown in jail. Two years in jail for nothing. He, he didn't do anything wrong, nothing. Finally got out, he got rose to second highest command in Egypt. But at the end of that story, remember when his brothers came to him? His brothers came to him, and they had that big reunion, and then his dad died. What happened when his dad died? His brothers came to him and his brothers were afraid that now, my, now that our dad's dead, Joseph's going to kill us. <laughs> you know, Joseph was just waiting back for dad to pass away. Now Joseph's going to come after us. Remember what Joseph told them when they came to him? Remember what he said? This is what he said. But as for you, ye thought evil against me. You meant to do evil against me, but God meant it unto good. Amen. To bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. See, you meant to do something bad to me. You did do something bad to me. But God, the whole time, was meaning it for good. Because look what happened. I saved all these people. I don't know what God's put you through, what God's doing in your life, what God's brought into your life. But God's got a plan. Amen. And one thing that people forget, and this is the greatest mistake. Even Christians do this on a daily basis. They forget about the spiritual aspect of life. They think that this whole world, this whole life's all about the flesh. 
And it's not. There's a spiritual side to life. And God's working out spiritual things, doing things behind the scenes spiritually that we don't understand. And what is this life? Look at the very next verse. Now my days are, verse 25, now my days are swifter than a post. They flee away. They see no good. They are passed away as the swift ships, as the eagle that hasteth to the prey. Job's complaining because he says, my days, it's just gone. What's life? It's but a vapor. Your day's here, it's gone. Life is short. What is this life, 70, 80, some of us get a little more than that. What is that life compared to eternity? God's working out this great master plan. And if, he's had, if he has you suffering for 70 years, what's that compared to eternity? That's nothingness. So we forget about that spiritual aspect. Some people complain to me, some young kid got took away at a young age and they died a young... Why would God kill that, let that little kid die? That little kid... That little kid passed from death unto life eternal to the greatest vacation a man or woman or boy or child could ever go into called heaven and escape the pain and misery of living in this world. And he got a free ticket a lot earlier than I got a free ticket because I'm still stuck here. So when we get on the other side and we see how great it is and how wonderful it is, and, oh man, it's going to be so great. I know there's going to be some of us say, oh Lord, this is so wonderful, this is so great. Oh, and we're going to, tears running down our eyes, we've never seen the things we're going to see up in heaven. And Jesus Christ is going to say, I would have brought you up here sooner, but you kept praying to stay down there. So we get so caught up in this flesh and the importance of this life. But guys, it's not about this life, it's the life to come. And God's working different things in different people's lives, getting things ready, working things behind the scenes. We can't understand God. He's an amazing creator and designer. And for us as a man to stand before God, understand what I mean when I say God, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-powerful, and stand before Him and accuse Him of something. We're just ignorant and stupid. We're like a little kid talking to our parents. You know how stupid that looks? That's how an atheist must look to God, in God's eyes. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You're acting like a fool when you argue with God about some of this stuff. Instead of just arguing with God, why don't you just accept it and say, God, that's your will. The greatest man to ever walk this earth, no doubt, is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Is there anybody, I mean, I don't care if you don't believe in Jesus Christ. Can you think of anybody that did more for humanity than Jesus Christ? We're talking about a man that not only while he was here on the earth, he healed all those people and fed all those people and caused the lame to walk, the blind to see. He did all these wonderful things while he was on earth. For 2,000 years since this man has left this earth, this world has been a better place. How many hospitals have been built in the name of Jesus Christ? How many poor people have been fed in the name of Jesus Christ? How many people have been helped through the churches that are named after the name of Jesus Christ? A wonderful name. The man, Jesus. What a wonderful man. And God appointed this wonderful man to suffer and to die and to get beat and whipped on a cross of Calvary. What makes you think you're any better? We should just be thankful the Lord doesn't make us do more than, and put us through more than he has put us through. That's a spiritual way of looking at things. I know that's not a popular way of looking at things. I know that's not the way the world wants you to look at things. The world wants you to be mad at God. But the spiritual way of looking at things is, God, thank you for allowing me to do something for you. 
Show me what I can do for you in this pain. Show me what I can do for you in this suffering. Show me how I can glorify you, Lord. I've never been closer to God than when I was in pain. I've never been closer to God than when I was in suffering and emotional pain. The furthest away I get from God is when I'm the healthiest and when I'm the happiest outside of God. That's when I get the furthest away from God. The closer I get to God is when I've been suffering and in pain and misery, emotional, financial. That's when I'm closest to God. Don't you think your prayers are a lot more earnest when you've got to pay a bill and you don't have the money to pay it? <laughs> yes, sir, it is. You don't think your prayers for healing don't mean a lot more when you're in pain at that time? Oh, Lord, please heal me. God's getting some glory out of that. But Job is arguing about that, see? Job is complaining about that, verse 27. Look at verse 27. If I say I will forget my complaint, I will leave off my heaviness and comfort myself. Job says, you know what? If there's a time I say, you know what? Forget all of this. I'm going to go get stoned. I'm going to go get drunk. I'm just going to live for myself. I'm going to forget that there's a judgment coming. I'm, going to, I'm just going to forget all this world. Forget that there's God and His judgment coming. I'm just going to live for myself. And comfort myself and get drunk and just forget about all this stuff. That's the way the world does. Their conscience through God's spirit keeps convicting them. There's a judgment coming. There's a judgment coming. And they try to drown that out with drugs and with alcohol and with pleasures and living for themselves and trying to ignore that still small voice that God has planted in every man and woman, boy and child that there's a judgment coming. And Job says, if I do all that, if I forget my complaint... And I will leave off my heaviness and comfort myself. He says, I am afraid of all my sorrows. Verse 28, I know that thou wilt not hold me innocent. Guys, you can try to drink your problems away. You can try to stone and get high and go into some kind of alternate reality with drugs and alcohol, whatever kind of thing you can do. You can try to forget about things by working your life away and focusing on your job or focusing on your family. But guys, I'm here to tell you, according to the word of God, and Job admits it, there's a payday someday. Amen. And judgment's coming. And ignoring it doesn't change it. Ignoring the truth does not change it. That bill's been delivered to you. Guys, everybody, there's a bill been delivered to you. You owe God for the sin you've committed. The bill's been delivered to you. Now you can take that bill and try to find a way to pay it. Or you can do like a lot of people do in America and they just put that bill to the side and say, I'm not going to worry about that bill. I'm going to go live and drink and be merry and just forget about my bills and not worry about it. And then all of a sudden one day they come home and their house is repoed, the car is repoed. What happened? Why did they do that? There's a payday someday. The bill's been delivered. You owe. You owe for your sins. You better find out how to get them paid. You might say, Brother Kiggin, I, I, I can't pay. I couldn't either. But I know a man who will pay him for you. And that man's name is Jesus Christ. He paid him for you. On the cross of Calvary. He'll pay that bill. But you've got to take that bill to him, see. You've got to admit you've got a bill that you're a sinner in need of salvation. You've got to admit you've got a bill and then you got to go to the man who can pay it, Jesus Christ, and present him that bill, your sins, and say, will you pay it? I can't pay it. Jesus Christ, I'll pay it. On the cross of Calvary. There's the payment right there. But don't be like a lot of the world and say, I'll just forget about this and put it to the side. Guys, when you get ready to pay that bill and you can't pay that bill, 
God's going to have no choice but to throw you into hell. You'll pay that bill for the rest of eternity in hell. And you could have got out of it just by having Jesus Christ pay it. Amen. It's not popular, but it's the truth. Look at verse 29. If I be wicked, why then labor I in vain? If I wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean, yet shalt thou plunge me in the ditch and mine own clothes shall behore me. Job says, if I tried to clean myself and wash myself with snow water, the cleanest water you can find, he said, even that, if I was to get myself completely clean, I'm still unclean in your eyes. Now, this is not a problem. This is not a bill that you can pay yourself. You don't want to stand before God in this judgment and try to get out of it. You're done for. Jesus Christ says in John chapter 3, you're condemned already. This ain't a, a judgment where you're going to go show up and say, okay, let's see if I can get out of this. Jesus Christ says, I'm here to tell you as God's son that you are already condemned. Man, this is a sentencing. Job says, I don't have a chance. Here's his argument. Now, now we're back to the argument. How fair is that, verse 32, for he is not a man. Why is God judging me as a man? He's a God, he's judging me. I'm a man as I am that I should answer him. And we should come together and judge me. He said, why is he judging me? He's, he's a God, I'm man, he doesn't understand me. Look at chapter 10, verse 4. Talking about God, chapter 10, verse 4. Hast thou eyes of flesh? Or seest thou as man seeth? Are thy days as the days of man? Are thy years as man's days? Talking about God. That thou inquirest after mine iniquity and searchest after my sin. Why are you searching after me? Why are you judging me, God? I, got day, I, I, I only live for so long. You're not like me. You don't even see like me. You don't have eyes like me. Hmm. That's true, Job. But it's soon to not to be true. There's an answer God has for this. See there in verse 33, God has an answer for Job. Job says, Neither is any daysman. Now, a daysman is a mediator. A mediator. <laughs> oh, the Bible's so wonderful. Neither is there any daysman or mediator betwixt us that he might lay his hand upon us both. Job says there's nobody that can stand and put his hand on God and also put his hand on me and be a mediator. At that time, there wasn't. But now, God has solved that problem through the man Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 2. God has solved that problem. Yeah, at that time, Job, there was, there was no mediator. There was no daysman. God didn't have eyes. God couldn't understand what it was to be man. But at that time, God hadn't manifested himself in the flesh yet. But soon he would. And that man was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. So when Jesus Christ came down... And God manifests Himself in the man, Jesus Christ. You know what that means? That means that God can understand what me and you were going through. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16. For verily, talking about Jesus Christ, He took not on Him the nature of angels, but He took on Him the seed of Abraham. Jesus Christ didn't take on the form of an angel. He took on the form of a Jew, the seed of Abraham. God decided to come down as a Jew. Not as, an, not as an Irishman, not as a Scotman, not as a black man. He came down as a Jew. Get over that. God picked the Jews over me and you. God does prefer a one race over another race. 
If you want to accuse God of being a racist, he does prefer one race over another race. He prefers the Jew over any other race. And that includes the race that I come from, the mutts. Isn't that right, Brother Raymond? I'm a mixture of all kinds of difference. They can't even figure my, my, they can't even figure my genealogy out. I'm so muddy. Irish, Indian, Scottish. And then my aunt writes a letter to my wife says, I think that his great-granddad on my other side was a Jew. That, was, that makes me like 180th Jew or something like that. I think my aunt just tried to tell me I'm one part of everything. That's all right. Because God came to save me too. The mutts. <laughs> Look at verse 17. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him, Jesus, to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, and to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. See, he's a perfect mediator because he's, Jesus Christ is perfect because he understands because he's God, but he also can understand because now he's made in the fashion of man. See verse 18? For in that he himself, God manifest in the flesh, hath suffered being tempted. He is able to secure them that are tempted. Guys, he understands your infirmities. He understands your temptations. He understands what it is to be tempted now. See, when Job is arguing with God back in Job chapter 9, he's making an argument to God, you don't understand what I'm going through. You're God and I'm, I'm just a man. But now God says, I understand. I know exactly what you're going through. I've walked through here. You don't think Satan didn't tempt Jesus Christ in every single way you can be tempted? Yes, he did. He was tempted in all manners like that. But listen, verse 18, and that he himself had suffered being tempted. He knows what you're suffering. He's able to secure. Secure means to help out with provisions. He can give you provisions them that are tempted. Jesus Christ got tired just like you got tired. God, when he put himself in the flesh, he made sure that he got tired just like you got tired. His eyes got weary just like your eyes get weary. He got hungry just like you get hungry. Jesus Christ got thirsty just like you got thirsty. Jesus Christ got hurt. He, when he got hit and whipped... He felt that pain. Whatever suffering or pain you're going through, Jesus Christ has suffered the pain like you've suffered. As God. As a man. Son of man, son of God. See how God's solving this problem that Job presents to him in Job chapter 9? Well, you can't understand. How can you judge me being a God and I'm only a man? God says, I can judge you. Because I have been a man. The man Jesus Christ. See, now there's no more argument, guys. When you hit this judgment before God, you have absolutely no arguments to present to God. You can't present any arguments. Look at Hebrews 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Jesus Christ is solving this problem that God had with Job. Verse 15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the filling of our infirmities. See, Jesus Christ is touched by your hurt. Jesus Christ is touched by your infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. See, Jesus Christ was tempted just like every one of us is tempted in here with all the sins we've been tempted with, but he didn't succumb to them. The sin's not in the temptation, guys. It's what you do with the temptation. Verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now that you've got a high priest like Jesus Christ who's died for your sins, who's walked around this earth, understands what your pain is, understands what it's to be tempted, understands all the ways that you are hurting, 
See how easy it is now to bow your head and go before God in His throne? Because see, you're going before Jesus Christ. And now he, he understands you. You go to God and go to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I'm hurting. You can be assured that Jesus Christ hurt. Lord, I'm, I'm depressed. You can be assured that Jesus Christ got down and got depressed. Somebody done me wrong, Jesus. Jesus got done wrong. Somebody betrayed me. Jesus got betrayed. See, there's nothing you can't present before Jesus Christ that he didn't live it. You can find it in scriptures, guys. See, that should make you bold to come before God because he understands you now. Now you can be rest assured he does understand. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're closing up. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Go back a little bit. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let's read this scripture and then, I, then we'll close. 1 Timothy 2. So what God has done with Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5. What God has done when he brought Jesus Christ to be born of a virgin of man. And made Jesus Christ the Son of Man, the Son of God. So Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. You see how wicked it is when the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witness tried to take the deity away from Jesus Christ? When they changed their Bibles up, they changed their Bibles up and tried to take away the deity of Jesus Christ. You see how wicked this is? Because the whole point of God coming down in Jesus Christ is that He was God manifest in the flesh so He could walk among man. And he could understand, and he could be this in verse 5. Jesus' whole purpose coming down was to be this daysman. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Amen. So there's only one mediator between you and God. So if you're like Job and you're arguing with God and you're making arguments against God and you don't understand what God, God says, I got a mediator so we can come together. There's only one mediator. And there's only one that's worthy and qualified to be the mediator. Only one. Why can't Buddha be my mediator? Because Buddha was never God manifest in the flesh. Buddha never understood what it was to be God. See, he might have been a man, he might have been a good man, but he was never God. He might understand what it's like to be man, Amen. Muhammad understands what it's like to be a man. These other people understand what it's like to be a man, the Pope. But they've never understood what it's like to be God. Amen. Jesus Christ is both, see. Son of God and the Son of Man. That's what makes him the only mediator between God and men. 1 John chapter 2. I'll show you one more of these. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. So now I'm here to say, you got good news. Where Job was arguing to God that, hey, there's no way you can understand me, God. And Job had an argument, amen. I believe Job had a legitimate argument. How can you judge me, God? You're not like me. Now God's took care of all of that through Jesus Christ. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things right unto you. That ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. An advocate is somebody who's standing for you as a lawyer. Now you've got that daysman. Now you've got that mediator. Friends, now you've got that advocate. You need an advocate because you've got an adversary. 
You're on trial. And Satan is presenting his accusations against you. He's your adversary. You need a defense lawyer. And I've got the best one going. His name is Jesus Christ. <laughs> Amen. He's an advocate. He's the only one that can do that. So way back thousands of years ago, Job was writing in Job chapter 9. And he was arguing about God not giving him a daysman. You know what Job says in there? He says, first off, he says, For he is not a, God is not a man as I am that I should answer him. And we should come together in judgment. Wrong, Job. He is a man like you now. He has walked around with us. He has slept with us. He was born. He's like me and you. Jesus Christ. Now his argument is, verse 33, Neither is there any daysman betwixt us. Yeah, there is now, Job. His name is Jesus Christ. He's a mediator. He's our advocate. But notice what he says. That might lay his hand upon us both. This morning I got the best news you could ever hear. You got a man named Jesus Christ. He's got one hand on the Father. And he's reaching out. And he wants to put one hand on you. You know what this is a type of? Guys, you can see it. You can picture it. You ever had some two people arguing? Going back and forth arguing. One person's yelling at one person, and one person's yelling at the other person, and they're going at it, and here comes this one person. He puts his hand on this guy's shoulder, and he puts his hand on this guy's shoulder, and goes, hey, can't we all come together? Let's see if we can figure this out. God says, I can't allow you in here because of your sin. I can't, I, I, I can't do it. And you say, well, it's not fair to me. I was born in sin. And Jesus Christ shows up and said, I'll take care of this. I'll take care of this. Let me close with this parable. There was a king. He had a servant. Servant had done very wickedly. King said, this servant must die. As the king gave the proclamation that this servant must die, one of his daughters, he had four daughters. One of his daughters came in. His daughter's name was Mercy. She came in and she said, you say you're a king of mercy. You say this kingdom's full of mercy. My name is Mercy. You must show this servant mercy. The second daughter came in and the second daughter's name was Truth. And Truth came in and says, Well, Father, this might be true that you're a kingdom of mercy, but this is the truth, that He did do this. And the truth never changes. And about that time, the third daughter comes in the room and says, Father, my name is Justice. And her name was Justice. And she says, This is a kingdom of justice, and if you let this man go, there'll be no justice in this kingdom. His daughter was right. About that time, the fourth daughter showed up, and the fourth daughter shows up, and her name was Peace. And Peace shows up, and she says, You promised peace in this kingdom. How can there be peace if you execute this man? How can there be peace? And the father was perplexed, and about that time, the son walked in. And the son says, I have an answer. All four of your daughters are right, father. All four of them are right. I've got the answer. Let me take that place of that servant. And that will solve and answer all the daughter's problems. Let me be in place of the servant. Who is that son? Jesus Christ. When we give him a name, the daughters had mercy and truth and justice and peace. I'm here to tell you this son's name was Grace. That's how he's going to bring the father and the servant together. He's our daysman. Oh, he's our mediator. And let me tell you something, this mediator, he understands what you're going through. 
He can turn to the Father. Lord, Father, I understand what he's going through. I understand that he failed. I understand I was tempted just like him. Let, let me deal with it, Father. Oh, man, what a mediator we got. He understands you. Oh, he understands you. What a wonderful Savior we have in Jesus Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for our days. Thank you for giving us a mediator, Lord God. Thank you for answering this charge that Job gave you, Lord God. And thank you that, Lord God, you do listen to man's prayer. And that when we come to you, Lord God, and we have complaints, Lord God, and we don't understand that you're willing to listen, you're so merciful and long-suffering, Lord God. Lord God, thank you for answering prayers, Lord. Thank you for giving us a mediator and a daysman and an advocate and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord God, for putting yourself into flesh that you might understand the suffering I go through, the temptation I go through, Lord, and that my adversary is so quick to come after me, Lord God. Thank you for putting yourself in the flesh that you might understand, Lord, and above all else, Father, thank you for putting yourself in the flesh that you might die on the cross of Calvary for my sins and for nothing you've done. Now, Lord, if there's somebody underneath the sound of my voice that's never took that free gift of salvation, they've never come in and asked for their bill to be paid by that Savior, Jesus Christ, Lord, I ask you that when we give this invitation, Lord, that they'll come down the aisle and they'll take that payment and they'll receive that free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. Lord, be with us as we sing this song of invitation. Lord, if there's somebody that's dealing with some problems, Lord God, I ask you to speak to the heart right now, Lord. Now, Lord, I just want to thank you again for your words out of your book, and for giving us Jesus Christ as a mediator. I'm praying all this in the name of his name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Brother, what song are we going to sing this morning? 384. 384, as we all stand together. Hello, this is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church. Are you sick and tired of this world? Are you sick and tired of this life that you're living? Did you know that God has a free gift for you? It's the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Have you ever received this gift? You know a gift can be offered but not received. You can bow your head and ask Jesus right now to save you and give you his free gift of eternal life. Now you might ask, how do I know he'll give me this free gift? Because I did the same thing because I bowed my head knowing I'm a sinner and asked him to save me and he did. And I've never been the same. And this life with Jesus is a thousand times better than anything this world can offer me. Now, we would love to hear from you if you want to contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. Until next time. Casting all your care upon him.